Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. Welcome to the beginning of the end of the year. Here it is. December. We're deep in it now. I feel like the last few years, we've had a pretty fun trend of looking back at some of the cool stuff that we found over the year and resharing the highlights. So that's the plan yes. for this year. Absolutely. And just like the year before, we're going to dedicate this episode to some shareworthy font reads and our favorite articles from the year that we have shared on this podcast and in our newsletter, of course. So the last couple podcasts that we have for the rest of the year, it's not going to be like our normal intense educational nerd alert. We're going to save that for the upcoming year. We're going to take a break around the holidays so that we can all have a nice little breather. And so the next couple of weeks, it's going to be this and that. And our first article we actually haven't shared this year. Sorry. I know we were like, this is all going to be about things that we shared and our favorites, but well, it's, we want to share It's good timing. This. It's pretty appropriate to share this now. Exactly. And that's because it's an article all about the design of Spotify's wrapped campaign. Which we were just talking about in the last one. Yeah. We were talking about how last year's Spotify wrapped predicted some anti-design trends that we saw itself throughout this past year but this year it's all about bright colors and vibrant color palettes and really exuberant eclectic shapes and they call these way the shapes layer with the typography little monograms which is like an infinite amount of way you can layer these really wild shapes onto each other and that kind of makes for a dynamic background for this year's graphics it's really flat graphics and I had a fun time watching my wrapped like it's hard not to have a good time pretty restrained in the typography category I'd say this year I feel like the color palette was where they went really kind of ape shit yeah that kind of makes sense right like if you go crazy in every piece of the design it's going to be unhinged so it makes sense that they were like hey let's restrain the type and let's go crazy with the colors and patterns yeah of which it's interesting that you call it flat which I agree, but also a lot of the flatness has three-dimensional moving shapes in the background. Yeah, that's fair. But there's no shading. It's all very... No texture. Right. It's like those little badges that would come up when Batman used to punch somebody in the 60s. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I definitely get some slight graphic comic book era graphics. So this article, sorry, I know we were just talking about the campaign, but this article... In it, the folks at It's Nice That interview Rosmus Wonglin, and he's the global head of brand design at Spotify. And it's kind of a fun behind-the-scenes look. The Spotify wrapped campaign starts getting designed, I believe, in spring-summertime so that they can distribute the branding and brand guidelines, which are like over 200 pages, to brand partners that are making this campaign come to life in various ways. I just think it's really interesting. Most people, when they think of campaigns from brands, they think of a funny headline and an image and maybe like a jingle or a tagline. But this is a campaign that I think is the ideal brand campaign. It lives out of home. Like you'll see its existence in billboards, but it's just organically shared through people taking a look at their wrapped and wanting to share the data that has come upon 
after a whole year of listing. So really interesting them talking about this being really user-centric and having people look forward to it and the joy that comes after releasing the Spotify wrapped campaign because there's a lot of like memes that come after it. Companies or other brands will mimic the design and change a headline or something like that. A lot of people, it causes them agony as they're like found out as huge Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> like it is it definitely a range of emotions gets exploded after Spotify Wrapped comes out every year. And I do think we had talked last time, I think it really ends up affecting a lot of designers idea of what the current hot trends are. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, we're going to see a lot of probably freaking crazy shapes and patterns and wild colors and stuff even more. I mean, we do already, but still, that's my guess. You can see in the last visual they include in the article, they use these layered shapes as framing devices for images. And I just thought that was like a really unique way to bring this system into a slightly different variation on it. They really mentioned in the article, this campaign has to go out to like several countries, people all over the world are experiencing this. So there's a level of flexibility that you have to have. Like I'm sure this is in a bunch of languages and writing systems and it's being used in a lot of different formats, like digital formats, whether that's on your phone or on your desktop or out of home experiences and billboards. And to be able to make that feel cohesive across so many platforms, I'm sure is a real big feat and probably dictates what the design is in the end as well, as you can imagine. That's a fair point. That is probably a crazier set of restrictions than most other projects that exist. Yeah. It's got to be perfect on a wide range of smartphones. And then they also have to use it on billboards in Times Square. That's a crazy range. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be shared everywhere. You're right. That's nuts. Yeah. And Rasmus was saying somewhere in the article that there's around 250 pages in the creative toolkit that describe how to use the design system. Yeah, so, I, that. That's, I want to see it. Right? Like really complex, but also just like really fun. Can you imagine being a brand and being able to put something out in the world that's like immediately embraced and shared and causes a lot of buzz for a couple days in social media? Like that definitely overtakes my kind of Instagram stories of people that I follow and all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, also, there's there's probably got to be so much criticism that the team has to see in those few days after it comes out. Like, no matter what they do, some large chunk of people, because Spotify reaches so many people, some large chunk of people are going to be verbally shitting on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with that reach, it's just... It's undeniable. I was very upset by the stretch type in last year's wrapped. But, I know, you know. I was too. I was shitting on it last year. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I actually think there's it's like a crowd pleaser this year, I think. I do feel like they went a little wild last year. They knew that they were pushing some envelopes last year. And this one mm-hmm. feels a little bit less like an envelope pusher. It's hard to go wrong. I don't love it, but I also do not hate it. Yeah, that's fair. But we'll see where these shapes start popping up and other brand applications around the world. All right, let's get into our articles that we picked for this week. One article I knew I was going to bring back to the pod, and that was article Genderless Design is a Myth by August Tang. It's about deconstructing the gender binary in design. And this really hit home for me when I read it, because I haven't really read anything that points out 
that a lot of our default design in the world is lends itself more to what is known as a masculine state of being. So our like default Helvetica, Ariels, all of that, it'd be easier for someone to describe that as masculine than they would feminine. And that's built on the whole idea that Swiss design was built by Eurocentric white men in the 40s and 50s. And while some people think that doesn't look like that it feels as little design ornamentation as possible, we can also say that no one would look at some of that type and call it feminine. Whereas if you see type that has like ornaments or curves or organic fluidness, that's often described as feminine type. And these are all bullshit. Type can't be feminine or masculine. It really shouldn't be. And I think because of that, we have to think about like new ways to subvert these stereotypes. So I was like really captivated by this when it first came out because it made me think about a lot of other brands that exist in the world that are supposed to be not preferential towards one gender. For example, a lot of unisex clothes companies they bring up in this article are basically just menswear being worn on both women and men. It's this default that is like neutrality is actually more masculine than feminine. And so that made me think about what other places this sort of stuff shows up. I remember I Googled some razor brands. Razors are highly gendered towards men and women, and the design reflects that. And even if you try to find like a gender neutral razor, it would still show up in this Swiss typographic plain style where it actually doesn't capture anything at all. There's no expression and therefore it ends up being more masculine. And that also just makes me think about as we continue into a world with more gender fluidity, how our brand's going to be challenged to subvert norms and think about certain things. I remember at the end of this article, they talk about this idea of selling a grill. So let's say this is an actual brand that's trying to not totally give in to gender stereotypes. If you're selling a grill, I've never seen a grill being marketed towards women. That's just like a fact. If you go to Home Depot, mm-hmm. there's nothing that's going to have a typography that is ornamental or has a color scheme that could be feminine in any way or even like rainbow, like even colorful. Don't even think about that for a grill. So the grill companies are not going to totally embrace this gender fluidity, gender queer aesthetic. That's obvious. But are there ways where like a brand that stereotypically has these masculine features can change maybe a typeface or change a color palette to embrace a little bit more than what is expected of them and what that can mean for a brand in general to stand out in a market and what that can mean for people that want to buy grills that aren't masculine men. (laughs) That's just one example. But I've just been thinking about it a lot all year. I really wanted to bring it up again because it's just like one of those articles that kind of keeps on tapping at my door as I'm continuing to like design for several demographics and communities. I love that you brought this one back. I remember when we first talked about it, it was such an interesting conversation. And even that example that you just gave of the grill, there's so many layers to dive into. And even just remembering that default non-design or minimal design still feels masculine. And that comes from the history of the world being masculine first, right? Like that is, that was the context that it was designed in. It's such a useful reminder. And it's so interesting to try to even imagine what, even a lot of this conversation is gender binary and not even fluid, right? Yes. And so it's really hard to even imagine what the future could hold for that to not be the case anymore. 
because mm-hmm. it's always been there and it's so ingrained. And that's the systemic thinking that we have all grown up in and that it's going to be like, we're suddenly at the peak of a time to challenge those things. Yeah. So it's useful to remember it and fascinating that it's so hard to imagine what a different future could look like. Well, I just think it's funny. I just want to like continue in this like power tools world. <laughs> Because we're here. I'm not even saying that we all should be buying the same things, no matter the gender. For example, I remember my mom growing up had a hammer and it was a hammer that fit the hand of a woman better than it fit the hand of a man. And for example, rubber gloves when you're cleaning. There are certain size rubber gloves that will biologically fit most women's hands better than most men's. I think I still think there are items that even razors necessarily, men's razors for what they biologically need it to do might be different than women's in a lot of cases. And at that point, how are we marketing towards genders when that is done purposefully? But like how much is that is actually okay, those are two things that have to do with like human biology. But for example, deodorant, that's still super gendered. I buy Old Spice and I like, I hate looking at it. I think it's, I hate it so much. It feels like there's always some bear illustration on it. I do not relate to this, but I need the functionality. They have a long history of starting out masculine. And then I feel like Uh when we were kids, it was like masculine in the background, subtly masculine in the sense of like by default masculine, but not aggressively masculine. And then at a certain point, they decided to market aggressively masculine. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, that actor who was always just wearing a towel Mm -hmm. with a deep voice and like the bears and some of the flavors and imagery and flavors sense. Those flavors. (laughs) Is Micah using his deodorant different than we all are? (laughs) (laughs) What, you eat it so that that way you don't smell bad, That's why it's right? on a That's... stick. It's like a push-pop mechanism. Easy for... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was a certain point, right, where they, like, went intentionally and aggressively masculine. Yeah. In a way, like, what they wanted to be known for. And I find that interesting because it isn't just for men, right? Yeah. That's also a weird thing that I found out as a woman. I remember when I was, like, a teenager, I would hear, like, one friend that had male deodorant, and I was like... I don't know, don't you like feel weird buying that? And then years later, I found out all my friends from college, friends from work, like people from all sorts of places do that. But like, Mm. also it's like a weird hidden thing that like no one really advertises. Anyways, I'm glad that you also found this article interesting. I remember when we first talked about it, you talked about that pirate show. Yeah. Our flag means death. Is that what it was? Oh yeah, that's it. I was about to Google what it was, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was was a really great subversion of masculine stereotype. Yeah. And are there female pirates in it? Yes. How does it subvert it is my question, I guess. I yet again don't want to ruin a TV show for somebody. Okay. But it is showing both women as pirates and also pretty openly homosexual, which is really awesome and Mm -hmm. proudly at a certain point, too. And... Not comedically, despite what, like the fact that it's a comedy and the people who are in it are comedy actors. They're also people who have been pretty vocal about openness and LGBTQ. So, yeah, I yeah. do remember talking about that show. And it was for a similar reason where they were like, let's take this masculine thing. Let's not degrade the masculinity, but let's open the masculinity up into feminine qualities too. Let's make it both. Yeah. And that's great. I feel like. 
that's like hitting the same notes that I really got out of this. So I continue to reference this when I try to think about designing for communities that are not a monolith and that are trying to capture maybe a new identity that's been previously underrepresented because such a good job of thinking about how to capture several things at once that is not defaulting to one thing. Which this perfectly leads into your second favorite article. Oh, yes, I love this article. Okay, I also love that this is like from a news resource we never use. It's from Kerrang, which I think is like a editorial rock media company of some sort. Great. I'm obsessed with their logo. So that's called Inside the World of Extreme Metal Logos. Oh, I love this so much. So one of the first Nerd Alerts of 2022 was on death metal typography. It was one of those Nerd Alerts where I just like uncovered way more than I thought I was going to. And it was just like intensely satisfying to gain information about a design style that does not have much discourse written about it because it comes from this counterculture rebellious place. And this article is a really nice kind of look at some of the history of death metal logos, some of the history of bands that have brands and logos, which is much less common these days than it used to be, and uncovers why death metal logos look a certain way, uncovers their aesthetics, which often have like very ornate, sometimes calligraphic designs, oftentimes symmetrical, oftentimes crazy things like body parts being dismembered and part of this. And it's still typography, which is so nuts. And it has just like really scary words and goes along with this really scary music. And it's just like a totally different way to think about typography and other artistic endeavors having this symbiotic relationship. And you also get introduced to the work of Christoph Spadel? Oh my God. I said it right <laughs> on the original podcast and I'm so mad I did not look this off. But Christoph, he's called the Lord of the Logos. So you can find him. Start Googling there. Belgian artist who has been just like working on so many death metal logos was commissioned by Rihanna's team to create the backdrop for her Video Music Awards performance. And also just for fun, likes making death metal logos for just unexpected characters like Coldplay or Five Seconds of Summers or other silly things that aren't death metal at all. Walls and Gromit. He made a Walls and Gromit death metal logo. Just like really obsessed with also the idea of subverting common themes in visual vernacular. I think I've seen that Phoebe Bridgers death metal logo shirt all over Brooklyn, which is funny because if you know Phoebe Bridgers, it's like sad girl music. And I've continued to see Lucy Dacus, who's similar sad girl music. She has like some kind of Black Sabbath ripoff shirt. So I'm really curious how it's moving into kind of the more feminine space, thinking about the history of this really being counterculture. But yeah, most death metal bands are like angry men. So how can that be thought about in a different way to like evoke, evoke some other feelings? So Ugh, I love Which this. I don't remember this from the first time you shared this article, but kind of towards the end, there is one that is counterculture to the counterculture. Artie Cannon? Yes. You remember this? Yes. And I love this one too because it's so death metal because it literally looks like a Toys R Us logo because that is the last thing you would expect from a death metal band. They saw what people were getting used to and found obvious. And what's more metal than something that looks metal? Something that doesn't look metal at all. I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
that was my favorite highlight of this. But I also remember yeah. this was not only like one of your favorite nerd alert topics, but a fan favorite too. A lot of people loved hearing about this. It was so much fun. I got to write an article. I know I've been saying that for a thousand years, but I feel like more people got to know about this. Those things. All right. Those are my two big picks I need to resurface. Micah, handing the mic off to you. The mic off. Good one. No one's ever used that joke before. Mine are a little bit less subversive of gender and an entire culture. Mine were just, (laughs) these were cool. I'm here for it. But the first one that I was a big, big fan of that we talked about this year that I didn't get enough press was evolving the look of the Olympic brand. We talked about this a few months ago and the International Olympic committee came out with the latest evolution of their visual identity and it was this pretty massive brand book to describe how the olympic brand should look and be used there's a lot of custom typography it was also just like a great example of a brand book where they showed a lot of different examples and use cases and illustrations and all manner of things and it too was pretty massive it was like 130 pages and covered all manner of different things. And I remember we kind of talked about it because they had these custom fonts made. And it was an interesting example of a yet another like company deciding to have custom fonts made and b kind of yet another example of like fonts that to some extent already exist being made and customized for a brand like the fonts that they came up with Olympic headline, Olympic sans, Olympic Serif. I think it was just that. There might have been one more. I don't yeah, that's right. They were like fairly basic, usable fonts that look a lot like other fonts that we have seen, but they belong to the Olympic brand. And I thought that that was a neat and useful thing to talk about. Yeah, I remember when we first reviewed this. There's so much typography when you view the Olympics. There's so much data that has to get presented. There's so much reading material and all at the same time, sometimes you'll have charts and graphs and statistics while someone's doing some skiing in the background. It can't be like stated enough how important it is for the typography to be really clear and concise and be compatible with so many writing systems and languages. I think that was a huge initiative that was with this typographic push. Something I find pretty interesting is that in their guidelines for each of the typefaces they have, they will also provide fallbacks Mm. for alternatives. And I think you mentioned these typefaces look like typefaces we've seen in the past. I think I wonder if that is on purpose so that if there were fallbacks, there's not a big jump as well for a branding perspective. That does make a lot of sense. I can totally see that. Olympics go to all corners of the world. Some places where if you're looking at especially websites and stuff like it has to work in the slowest conditions too. And so Mm -hmm. to make it look like something that already exists, that is a fallback that everybody has is pretty smart. I never thought about that. Yeah. I also haven't really, I see it sometimes in Brad guidelines, but it's not super common. And even the serif one that looks so elegant and refined, they do a fallback to Georgia. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that was like small enough on your digital screen in front of you. You probably like, would see Georgia and wouldn't feel like it was off-brand if you were kind of acting this to be the main serif. 
Yeah. So. And then I think one of the things that we also talked about was that this was a really interesting use case because it's such a big thing and because the Olympics change hands and cities every few years. And so there's a unique identity for each edition of the games that these brand guidelines have to be something that still highlights the individual unique brand of each game, which I thought was just interesting. I think at first we were like, what the heck? Wait, I thought it changed every time. And then we realized it does change every time. And this is to be behind all of that and give that room to be awesome, which is cool. Yeah, exactly. Like the stuff like body copy and data and statistics the expressiveness of that should not be dialed up. So it makes sense to have standard uniform thing for a logo or a certain display signage is where your expressiveness can't be dialed to the max. One last thing, I find it very fascinating. I'm just like scrolling through their brand book. In their typography section, they have a whole page focused on paragraph alignment that tells you how to rag something. I haven't seen guidelines this specific on body copy before in a brand guideline. Mm. They even get as specific to say only words that are eight letters or longer can be hyphenated and really point out obviously widows and orphans, but they like literally show a paragraph that is not well ragged. It's probably using like default justification and hyphenation settings. I just have, wow, attention to detail, man everything for the olympics that is a good point i breezed right past that and i was like well yeah you gotta do it well i don't know but you're right yeah Yeah. it's like the upper echelon of athletics needs to have the upper echelon of typography true that true that all right what else you got for us okay last one okay is a brief history of okay by ben schwartz okay okay So this was just a really neat article. It reminded me a lot of some of my favorite nerd alerts that you have done in written form, but it's also like animated written form. And it is what it is saying it is. It's the background of the word okay. Like where the heck did that come from? And how did it become such a commonly known thing? And so there's a lot of history. There's a lot of graphics of weird old historical usages. There's a whole section on myths related to it, of which I didn't really understand that there were myths around OK in the first place. And there's just there's a lot of really cool, fun little facts and details. And it's presented in a really cool way. As you scroll, it guides you through the article in a very Apple marketing website kind of way. Where it's like, hey, this is what we want you to be looking at next. And that's cool. I feel like we don't see a lot of articles being art-directed that way anymore. So it's, I don't know, neat and well done and random and cool and Olivia-like and also your initials. Yeah, it's so fun. I don't know how I've never stumbled across the history of OK. Everyone loves that my initials are OK. I think it's fine. Good. It's not bad. You know, it's okay. You know, it's neutral. But I just thought this was like, a really fun internet find and just reminds us that it sometimes it doesn't take mind-blowing theatrics to make something that feels well-designed and captivating. Something I love so much about this is how simplified it is and how effective it is with scale and typography and limited use of color. So just good reminders to have this sort of stuff still living on that sometimes, yeah, you can just really impress with a few really nice tricks. 
I think when you do your written article about the history of death metal, I think we should do something like this, inspired by Ben Schwartz. Exactly. Good inspiration. I love that. Let's Thanks so it. much for resurfacing this. Yeah, I feel like I admittedly did forget about it until you mentioned it. I was like, oh, heck yeah. Let's definitely talk about it. Go check it out if you haven't yet. Fun times. Yeah. All right. I guess that's it. That's the throwbacks. That's all the fun articles. Well, that's not all the fun articles. Those are the top four fun articles that we thought needed to be revisited. Yeah. In the year. I know. And the Spotify wrapped. I hope the conversation continues. And I think next year we have to make it a point when we see anything Spotify wrapped-esque to point it out. That's a good point. And so next week, do you know what the heck we're going to be sharing? Yeah. Next week. I think our tradition is, well, this was like the cool articles that that we shared this year that were our favorites. Next week is going to be our free font finds or free resources sometimes too. Yeah, so things that are helpful to return to that we thought incredibly useful things of the internet. And also free fonts to add to your catalog because we go out and find those every so often. So tune in. It's going to be our last episode of the year. So, Micah, I think we should drink hot cocoa during it. Ooh, good idea. I'll get some chocolate and some heavy cream. Yeah, and marshmallows. Do not forget. Oh, yeah. And marshmallows. And maybe some yeah. nutmeg. Ooh, yes. Oh, I'm getting cozier by the second. This is going to be fun. And yeah, it'll be fun to like you can sing, have one last You can hurrah. sing Jingle Bells and I don't know. What's Apparently, a good Hanukkah Harry song? I don't know. Oh, that's true. My favorite Christmas song is the really problematic one, which is sad for me. Maybe it's cold outside. Gosh, on TikTok, I keep seeing the version that a year or two ago in some movie they redid to make it less problematic yeah i mean i personally hate that song so you're like i don't have every time that problems. comes up i'm like i don't want the good version or the bad version i want a different song well i'll clear my throat for some singing <laughs> in the meantime can't promise it if you're not going to do it so now we're holding you to it okay okay all right everybody that's another week of the pod <laughs> all right we'll see you all next week do 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 do